podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your daily World Cup podcast. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Delighted to have you back. How are you? I am. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, probably better than you are, given you are facing a run of two entire weeks from today. Well, from tomorrow, without a day off, uh, having already done all of the days so far. So I'm probably better off than you are right now. But today. We had four games in the 2022 World Cup. So let's start with Morocco nil, Croatia nil. Carl, uh, a lot of nil-nils in this World Cup so far. And this one was a bit of a snooze fest. This one was rubbish. I needed something a bit better to get me going this morning. And I was looking forward to this game and, you know, lots of interesting things that I thought might be uh, worth watching, like a lot of Croatia strength through the middle, a lot of Morocco threat down the flanks. It should have been quite nicely balanced for an interesting game until both sets of players turned up and decided they would do absolutely nothing for two hours. Yeah, and that is largely what took place, and that game no longer requires our attention. So let's move on. Germany won, Japan two. We had the big surprise yesterday with Saudi Arabia beating Argentina. This was not as big a surprise but still a big surprise and a fantastic result for a really well-coached, really well-organised Japanese team that is absolutely loaded with talented, skillful players. Yeah, I'm really annoyed at myself because, I mean, I've backed Japan to go through, obviously, from the group all the way through, and I still thought that that would be the case. But last minute, and I'm going to blame Guy completely for this. He's talked me into it. I changed my mind from Spain, uh, Spain going through to Germany going through, and I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have listened to Guy in the slightest. So I did predict Germany to win, but um, I'm, I'm posthumously taking that back and saying Japan are going to win this one. So I got this one right, technically. So here's the thing. I think this German team is better set up to play a team like Spain than a team like Japan. And I don't necessarily think they're out of it just yet. Now, obviously... Spain's huge win today, and we'll get to that next, does give them a nice big buffer in terms of goals. But it's not inconceivable that both teams from that Japan-Germany game could beat Spain. You'd expect both to beat Costa Rica as well. So even though the Germans lost today, I don't necessarily think they're out because I think they're well set up to take on a team like Spain. Yeah, I agree. And we could feasibly end up with a situation where it's three teams on six points you know it has happened quite a few times in the world cup and again that gives spain a bit of an advantage because they've got the big goal difference uh today but there's absolutely every possibility that that could be the case i, I thought germany started okay Let, let's give them the 
due. They didn't have a, a terrible performance. They thought they were good in the first half. I thought Jamal Musiala, for most of the time he was on the pitch, was pretty sensational, to be honest. But again, I just thought that there were a few parts of the team that still just don't look quite right. I don't think Kai Havertz did enough up front. I think playing Nicolas Sula at right back, you may as well put me there. Mm. It's, you know, there are a few just very odd decisions, which are still like this. It's not quite the right balance in this team. Uh, and obviously uh, there may be like a few uh, fitness concerns still elsewhere, but, you know, not using Leroy Sane, for example, even off the bench. I'm not sure if there was some problem there, but I don't know. I just, I feel there's more to come from this Germany team, but they're not put together in the right way yet. Japan, on the other hand, everything I expected from them. Very, very composed in possession. Really, really good rotation in that front line. Very, very tactically aware of their jobs on and off the ball and didn't panic at all when they went behind. Just carried on playing their game and knew that they had people on the bench who could play you know, similar roles in a similar way, but maybe be more effective later on in the match. That's obviously exactly what happened. Yeah, for sure. I, I thought obviously both scorers come off the bench in Ritsu Doan and Takuma Asano, but I thought that Tommy Asu, Arsenal right back slash centre back, I thought he was excellent. Um, I would say with the German team, like I think there's easy changes that can improve that team. Like I don't know that you need Kimmich and Gundogan in midfield. I think you could just put Kimmich to right back where we know he's world class. Maybe bring Leon Goretzka into the middle of the park. And that, I think, will improve you. Um, Thomas Muller, for me, shouldn't really be in the team. He's not offering enough at club level or or for the country. Musial is a sensation. And here's a question that a lot of people are asking. If you could only have one for the next 10 to 12 years, would you take Jamal Musiala or would you take Jude Bellingham? For a club? For a club. Uh, Bellingham, I think. Interesting. Interesting. I think Bellingham has that extra versatility. Yeah. But the two of them are sensational together. Oh, oh, unbelievable. I'm not crying if I get either one, to be fair. I think I'd probably take Bellingham just on A, versatility, and B, physicality, which is mm. probably the, the English Premier League-ness in me coming out. But there you go. It's just oh, the two of them are great to watch. Love them. As talented and all as this group of English players might be, I think there will come a time when, you know, deep inside the heart of St. George's, they do sit and rue not trying harder to convince Musiala that his future lay with England. Uh, Let's move past this game. Then obviously great win for Japan and looking forward to seeing more of them. I think they're, they're such an exciting team, the way they move the ball in transition. Spain seven. Yeah. Costa Rica nil. Yeah. I didn't see this one coming. Didn't think there were seven <laughs> goals in that team. But more to the point, didn't think Costa Rica would be so appalling. They were shocking. They were the worst performers we've seen so far at the World Cup by an absolute mile. Total abomination. No organisation, no aggression, no stepping out of the lines, no tracking runners, no ability to pass the ball between themselves. They were rubbish, rubbish, rubbish to the point that this was a training routine for like 80 minutes or so. I will say there are a couple of like really, really good performers from Spain. I will also point out I went for nil-nil earlier this morning because I thought Spain would have 72% possession, I think I said. It ended up being 82% possession, but obviously they had the slightly clinical edge, 17 shots to nil. Mm. Uh, some, some really good individual performances, but like I said, this was a walk. This was a proper stroll. There was no 
anything to deal with at any point to the point that like Sergio Busquets, everything that we've said about him off the ball that he struggled with did not have to do any of it once. No, no, didn't at all. I think a few eyebrows were raised when that Spanish team was announced with Rodri in at centre back. Um, I don't know why they were surprised at that. It's, it's a very, very routine thing for the Spanish team and the Spanish teams to do in a match they know they're going to be dominant is to put a ball playing uh, midfielder into central defence. That's. I, I think a lot of people thought he might play Busquets in central defence and play Rodri in midfield because you didn't feel like the defence was going to be challenged all that much and maybe Busquets as, as a ball playing centre-back could have been hugely beneficial. Uh, the front three, Ferran Torres, Marco Asensio and Danny Olmo, all of them on the score sheet. Gavi with an absolute worldie. Uh, and Carlos Soler and my good friend Alvaro Morata wrapping up the scoring. Uh, dominance from Spain. And do you know what? To give them their due, when the third goal went in, when Pe- Ferran Torres scored that penalty, I thought, right, that's it. They, they'll just they keep that. ball yeah. for the rest of the game. Yeah. But I really liked how ruthless they were in the second half. I know it, it kind of seemed like bullying when, like, the sixth and seventh went in. But I do think that kind of ruthless streak could come in really handy in the later rounds. Yeah, I fully agree. They've got to be able to, you know, have people who are high in confidence know that as soon as they hit the ball, it's going in the back of the net, that kind of thing. Because, you know, they're not going to get another match like this. They're going to be much, much tighter in the next two games, much more difficult. They're going to be made to work for the spaces. It's a big, big thing, actually, Spain starting this way instead of, as I predicted, having all the possession and no no finishing touch on the end Mm. of it. Uh, it's obviously also very, very good for them to have that competition in the forward line where they've got the versatility of different people, but a couple of goal-scoring touch in there now. And they didn't bring on Pablo Sarabia. That is possibly the best thing of the day. Uh, huge, even, huge move by yeah. Louis Enrique in the right direction, not bringing him on. Yeah, but even like a couple of the others, Yerem Bino and uh, Ansu Fati didn't come on. So they've still got other options there, but with all of those in scoring form that you've mentioned, Good to have that competition for places. Good to have people who are high in confidence who might be able to affect the match uh, next time out, obviously, if it is a bit tighter. Uh, and oh, Gabby, so mm. good, so, so good today. You just have to hope this isn't a Liverpool versus Crystal Palace scenario where they've just used up all their goals. Exactly. And because they're going to need to score against both Germany and Japan is my bet, because I think they're both very, very tough games. And as I said, even winning 7-0... I don't think it's done and dusted that they're through. I, I think it's going to be a very tough group, and it's a very exciting group. Uh, moving on then to the final game of the day. Belgium won, Canada nil. And if you can explain to me how this game ended up in A, a Belgian clean sheet, and B, a Belgian win, I'd love to hear it. Mm, this is, unfortunately, the uh, cruelty and the abomination of football sometimes. Uh uh, I mean, like, like, there are two literal moments here which have made this result happen. One is Afonso Davies deciding he should take the penalty for Canada for the first time ever, apparently. Um, not the moment for Ego to step forward, I don't think. That should have been Jonathan Davids all the way, really. And obviously the other one just being a, a momentary switch off and a big hoof from defence. Route one, one bounce. Michi Batshuayi, for all his irrelevance let's say over the last couple of years as a, a starting forward at club level he's still a very good finisher um, didn't take an awful lot for him I think he only really had two sides of goal all game one was a really really good block and this one was a very very good finish on his left foot 
other than that, what are we looking at? Thibaut Courtois, a couple of good saves, lots and lots of wastefulness in the first half. And then I think Canada just kind of ran out of steam, to be honest. It was a brilliant, brilliant return from them, I will say, mm. uh, in terms of the the attitude and the the way they tactically took the game and how they tried to make use of their own strengths. Very, very good performance. They should have been probably two or three up by halftime, to be honest. And, and I think this Unfortunate not to get at least one other penalty, I thought. Yeah, I mean, the, the one where, I, I can't remember who it was now, was it the, maybe Witzel clipped uh, his heels as he ran through on the right-hand side of the penalty area? That was a stonewall, I thought. I'm mm. not really sure why that one wasn't given. But, you know, either way, there were enough really good chances there for Canada to at least score one. And a bit of a lesson, maybe, obviously, in terms of how, how clinical you need to be. But in theory, Belgium was the hardest... Uh, game they will face in the yeah. and they've still got to have a lot of confidence that they can do damage next time. Yeah, they'll be looking at Morocco and Croatia and thinking we can do them. If we play like we did in that first half, we can beat both of them. I did like the honesty of Kevin De Bruyne coming out after the game and saying he believed he was only named man of the match because his name is Kevin De Bruyne because he didn't play well. And it's true, he was not good in that game. Just on Michi Batshuayi, and I agree with you, he has been largely irrelevant, but I will point out that Last season, he was quite good for Besiktas. And this season, he's been excellent for Fenerbahce. He's very much a confidence striker. Mm. And I think Roberto Martinez picking him in that first game will give him the confidence boost he needs. And it wouldn't surprise me if he gets a couple more goals in this group stage, if he continues to play. I retract my adjective. (laughs) Uh, Moving on then, tomorrow we have four games. And this looks like the best day of games so far, Carl. So first up, we get Switzerland versus Cameroon. Now, we've talked about Switzerland before and, you know, your love for Harris Seferovic is well known. This is the last hurrah for this generation of Swiss players at, at World Cups, you'd imagine. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, absolutely so. I, I kind of think that Switzerland have done all right in terms of bringing through a few different people, but also I think it's taken them until this point to find a really nice balance uh, between some of those players, like especially in defence. I think for a long time it's been a little bit mix and match and you know playing people who have been around for ages just because they've mm. been around for ages. But I think at the minute, like I presume it's going to be a Kanji and Fabian Scher play uh, alongside each other at the back, for example. I think that's got the makings of a really good partnership for, for a bit of a while. You know, I think Scher's pl- probably playing best football since he was maybe at Deportivo La Coruña in Spain. Uh, Akanji obviously is not necessarily playing every week, but maybe that's actually helping him because consistency has obviously been a, a bit of a thing for him. So and avoiding maybe injuries. Yes, exactly so. So maybe maybe this is a, a good way for both of those to, to really come in here and, and forge a, a good partnership at the back. And Jan Sommer, I, I quite like him. He's always been quite good for Switzerland anyway as well. So there's there's elements of the team that I think are very, very good. Um, some of them are a little bit boring now as well, but this is Switzerland. We know what they're, what they're about. And I think that they will probably have too much for Cameroon. Yeah, I think so as well. I think they, they've got an awful lot of experience at major tournaments. Like Sommer, Rodriguez, Shar, Freuler, Xhaka, Shakiri, Safarovic. They've been around a long time. They grew up together in the national team. And this is probably, like I say, the last World Cup for all of them. And they want to go out and 
you know, give a good last showing. Making the knockout stages would be a huge achievement for them because it is a very difficult group that they're in. Uh, Cameroon, it's it's a team that I think in two years might be able to make more of an impact at a major tournament than it is right now. You know, they're they're going to be heavily reliant on Abubakar and Chupamoteng up front, and those two are going to be a difficult matchup. And then obviously you've got a Cambi as well. So three big physical strikers who are going to cause teams problems and they'll be able to rotate them in and out. But you look at them defensively, it's it's not exactly a who's who. There's a couple of talented ones. Christopher Wu of um of Ren, he's very, very talented. I quite like Ibose of Udinese. But you know, Nicholas and is the the oldest and most experienced defender there and he he hasn't been good in a couple of years. I do like the goalkeeper. I love Zambo in midfield, as you know, but I'm not really sure there's enough in that Cameroon team. So you're going for the Swiss win. Uh, a narrow one, but yeah, maybe a one nil. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll go two one, um, and follow you on the Swiss win. Then we get a game that I think is very very exciting. It's Uruguay taking on South Korea. Uruguay, obviously, we know the players. And like with the Swiss, it's the last hurrah for much of this squad. It'll be the last World Cup for Muslera, the legendary goalkeeper. It'll be the last World Cup for Godin, for Caceres, for Suarez, for Cavani. But they have this super talented group of players that have come through very quietly, almost unnoticed by a lot of people, led by Fede Valverde who might right now be the best midfield player in the world. We know all about Darwin. There's some good young wide options. There's a couple of very good midfielders in Bentoncourt and Dela Cruz who are more than capable of playing at any level. Uh, Rasqueta of um, Flamengo is maybe the best player in South America. So this is, and obviously if he won't be fit for this game by the looks of things, but he should be back for the last game of the group, Ronald Arejo. This is a talented group that t- people shouldn't be overlooking. Yeah, I think Uruguay, I'm, my, my, I'm not really sure how to, how to phrase it, but my, my sneaky feeling is that they could go really deep into this competition and potentially, if all the things line up for them, could go in like semi-finalists, finalists. Um, I'm not sure if the team is um, together long enough, basically, because it is quite a a new team, obviously, in terms of some of the players who have replaced the ones who were there for absolutely ages. And there's still a lot of moving parts in the defence, as we spoke about in the uh, World Cup preview podcast. Uh, it depends to an extent who lines up next to who and if they play the back three or the four. But I think that um, Alonso has done a really good job since taking over. Obviously, he got the four wins out of four that he needed for qualifying after Dallas has left. And... A few of their players are in such good form at the minute that they can lift the entire team. I mean, you mentioned Valverde, and I'm 100%, as you know, behind that as a a view. I think he's in sensational form this season. He's a great player anyway, but also Ben Tancur has been in really, really good form for Spurs, and he's a very, very good controlling player for them. Darwin comes into this in his best form since he signed for Liverpool, obviously. Mm. Uh, and even, like, I think at, um, at fullback, I think, um, Matias Oliveira is a, again comes into the game really really good form in the games that he has been able to start for uh, Napoli not an every single week starter but a very impactful player all the time mm. yeah they've got him and, and um, 
and Vigne, the other left-back option, they're both very, very good. They've both been playing fairly well. Jimenez is is fit at the very least, and we know that a fully fit Jose Jimenez is a very good defender. You'll have the experience of Godin. You'll have the experience of Suarez. This team knows what it's about. They know how to win, and, and you're right. Like It is a new team, and it, it, the biggest part of that is the new manager, Diego Alonso. They've been under... Tavares for, I don't know, how long was he in charge? 15 years? Yeah, like absolutely an incredible run that he put together. Um, took them to, to great heights, obviously won, won the Copa America and did very well at the, the World Cup in 2010. But it was time for change. This is the change and it's working well thus far. I like them also like a dark horse. I think they can go quite far. The South Koreans, though, aren't to be overlooked. You mentioned how Oliveira's playing for Napoli. There's been very few people more impressive in that Napoli team than Kim Min-jae. He has been a revelation at centre-back, replacing Koulibaly, which they thought was near impossible. We all know everything about young Min Son. It'll be interesting how fit he is. He's had that facial surgery. They've got Huang of Wolves, another player people will be very, very familiar with. The South Korean team are going to be tough to beat, Carol. They will. Um, I'm personally not quite as high on South Korea as I am on Japan. Um, a couple of reasons, obviously, for that. Uh, the, the the way that the Japan attack is built and the rotation and the depth that they have. I think that that's a little bit better than South Korea's. And again, I've mentioned this before, you can't really read too much into all the qualifiers because it's you know a long group and they already knew that they were much better. So I assume there was a lot of rotation in the earlier games. But South Korea finished behind Iran. We've seen how they play. They did get one point mm. more than Japan, but they were in the other qualification group. So again, it's not a, a direct correlation or a direct comparison. Um, but the games that I saw for them earlier on this year, the, the, the warm-up matches that I saw, I just I don't think that there's quite the same level of, uh, let's say, aggression and ability to compete in midfield as Japan have, for example. Um, I I think that Uruguay may overpower them, to be honest. There's obviously really good reason to think that South Korea can hold out and create their own chances. Kim and Jai is brilliant, like you said, but also uh, Kim Jong-un has been a defender mm. like, for quite a long time, to be honest. I expect those two to start alongside each other at centre-back. Um, and, and we know that they've got quality performers in, in the final third, but in that middle section, I think Uruguay will dominate this match and ultimately that's what wins them the points for me. Yeah, I agree. I will go with a 3-1 Uruguay win. I'm going to go 2-0. Okay, we best hurry through these last two. We get Portugal versus Ghana. This is a Portuguese team that have been together a long time, but they have a lot of young talent in it as well. The Ghanaian team has an awful lot of really exciting young players, but I think it's too inexperienced at this level. Um, I think they lack a little bit of quality outside of Thomas Partey, unless Kudu starts in midfield. And I don't see where the goals are coming from. Their two top goal scorers are the Ayu brothers, both of whom are well past their best. I, I expect Portugal to win this game, but they've obviously got a big circus going on around their, their captain right now. They have, and I don't really know what to expect from Ronaldo right now. He could obviously go out there and lumber about like he has done all season long and be completely ineffective. He could also just turn up and shoot every time he gets the ball, finish up with eight shots during the game and score twice. Uh, it's, you know, it doesn't necessarily relate to him having a good performance, but if he gets his name on the score sheet, he's had the effect that he wants and Portugal probably win the game. My personal hope 
is that they start with Rafael Leao on the left-hand side and he is mm. as explosive as he can be because I think this is a World Cup where he can really, really step up. Ronaldo, whatever happens with him, he's coming to the end of his time, let's be honest. Um, Diogo Jota obviously is not there. I think that Leao is the most well-placed Portugal attacker to make a big, big name for himself and win a regular spot in the team. He's the only one really there with now loads and loads of pace in that final third as well, which will be important for them if they want to go deep. Uh, Ghana, I, I think for Ghana, it's probably going to click in one match or another and that they'll play really well. and They'll get the you know the creativity and the, the chances in the final third that they they could uh, make. If you think of like Suleiman and Iñaki Williams, uh, one of the AUs at least, and Kudus, like you say, if they all click, it could happen for them in one game. But I just don't see that being consistently the case across the three. So it could be this one, could be not this one whatsoever. So I'll go with, I think I'll go for a narrow Portugal win, maybe just the 1-0. I'll go 2-1, I think, but I think you're right. I think it will be narrow. I just think this, Ghana have the ability to catch them on the counter-attack and that Portuguese defence, the full-backs will be very high and the centre-backs are a little bit slow. So maybe Ghana catch them on a counter and, and get a 2-1 defeat. But yeah, I think Portugal win. Final game of the day. Brazil versus Serbia. Brazil obviously romped their way through the uh, South American qualifiers. Serbia, though, were super impressive in their qualification, finishing top of Group A ahead of Portugal. We know the names. We know the talent. I think this is a fascinating match, though, because I think the weakness in that Brazil team is at the back, especially in the air, and no team will test that more than this Serbian team. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's the last one of the first round, if you like, but I think it's always been the most interesting one to look forward to. I think this could be the best game of the group stage if they both really, really go at it. Not sure how much they will, because I think considering the group overall, there's perhaps not quite the uh, level of pressure on both of them to go out and win this very first match. I think Serbia can overpower Switzerland, for example, and we've discussed Cameroon before, so... I think that both of these two will be the ones who go through, but it would be very, very interesting to see how Brazil in particular react if Serbia really come out and start very, very hard and very, very fast against them, maybe score the first goal. Because mm. like you say, there's absolutely every chance that that could happen. Mitrovic is maybe a doubt, yeah. uh, an injury in training recently, but even if he does miss out, they either go with Vlajevic and Jovic together or Vlajevic with maybe two behind him instead. Uh, maybe Tadic and Milinkovic-Savic both go in attacking midfield roles in support. So there's still lots and lots of power and threat and movement and energy that Silva and Marquinhos are going to have to deal with. Uh, how much of that they can deal with will, I think, depend on if Serbia have sustained pressure or it's more counter-attacking play with uh, trying to get crosses from wide. Uh, Kostic against Danilo, I'm expecting to be a, quite an unfair battle, but Danilo sometimes has this capacity to just do quite well against opponents you wouldn't actually think he would do. Um, so it's a few matchups who I think could be very, very uh, match-defining, let's say, if if it falls Serbia's way, for example. But Brazil have a lot of experience. They've been together as a team for a long, long time now. Uh, they all know their tactical roles very, very well. They don't, in general, concede a lot of goals. So it could be a match that they actually dominate play and be a little bit slower in to not really let Serbia utilise that physicality. Yeah, that's a fair shout. I mean, only the five goals conceded in 17 qualifying games in the South American qualifiers, a very, very impressive record for Brazil. 
Um, I, I, I'm really curious to see how they deal with Serbian set pieces. If Serbia get a bunch of corners and set pieces and or free kicks in wide areas, I think that could be a real impacting play because the Brazilian team, number one, isn't very tall. And number two, Thiago Silva has lost a lot of his spring. The fullbacks aren't great in the air. So you're looking at Marquinhos, who's 5'10", 5'11", and Casemiro as sort of the aerial dominant players in that team. And that's less than ideal when you're going against Vlahovic, Milinkovic-Savage, Milinkovic at centre-back and whoever else comes up. That could be fascinating. I am going to go for the upset here. I'm going for a 2-1 Serbia win. Nice. I... I think that we might see quite a bit of uh, Brazilian attack going on as well, though. And I think mm. it's one really interesting choice of whether they go with Paqueta as an extra or deeper midfielder as well, and Neymar wider, or maybe drop Paqueta, Neymar, Richarlison and Vinny all start. Uh, and Rafinha, obviously, on the right-hand side. So I'm going to go with 2-2. Um, I think Brazil will probably lead twice and Serbia come back. I think it's going to be a fun game. I think it's going to be a fun day. And if there's anything else you'd like to add, add it now, but we've got to go. Okay, uh, just the pieces to read, really. Um, since Uruguay are playing, I will replug the Fede Valverde and regeneration of the team piece, a little bit more detail of the stuff that we were talking about. And also, if you want to catch up on today's stuff, I've done a lovely piece on Pedri and Gavi and why they're going to pass everybody to death through this tournament. Yeah, Spain with over a thousand passes played in a game of football at the World Cup. That is absolutely outrageous. But I don't know whether it says more about them or Costa Rica. We'll leave it there and we'll see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement. And we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.